We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And we are recording this on Easter, and I hope my guests, Mark and Red, are having as good of an Easter as Drew Holiday is. Mark, how you doing, man? Well, I am. Uh, I'm not a 160 million dollar man, but I, uh, I'm, I'm alive. I'm, I'm not yet 24, and uh, you know, I'm about to graduate college in a month. So you know, you could almost call me Drew Holiday in terms of my, uh, my personal wealth. But uh, I'll take it, man. I'm just happy to be on a pod with you guys. <laughs> yeah, you're on your way, Red. What's going on, man? You know what, Mark? He didn't get that contract until he was 30. So, like, you've got six You're years saying, to make so, it. So the people are saying there's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance. No, uh, Alex, I'm doing great. Glad to be glad to be back on and talk about some winning basketball. Yeah, absolutely. So last night the Pacers took down the Spurs in overtime and a really impressive win. And we're going to talk about that, but I want to talk about some different things first. So first things first, Aaron Holiday. This is a guy that's not been in the rotation with the injuries to Brogdon and Lamb. He gets a little bit of an opportunity and look pretty good, guys. Uh, I'll start with you first, Rhett. What has been the biggest reason for Aaron Holiday's successful play, and uh, should he continue to log more minutes in the rotation? I think it comes back to a lot of what we uh, talked about before the season in how to make Aaron Holiday successful, um, and that's more of him having the ball and being able to do things uh, finishing plays and being more than a spot-up shooter. And I think we saw that a lot, especially last night. I, I noted three possessions straight where he finished the possession. And now one of them was a terrible step back three. The other, he was bailed out by Goga. And the other was a great take to the basket. So not saying it's like 100% success rate with him finishing plays, but I think that confidence of him just having the ball in his hands and being able to do things uh, versus spotting up is 
is why he's been so successful. And as far as the rotation, I don't think he should have been 100% out of the rotation to begin with, but his minutes aren't coming at the expense of McConnell, McConnell and Sumner. So if, if, uh, if there's some foul trouble or injuries, then he should be in the rotation. But I don't know if I want to sit Sumner or McConnell to, to play Aaron at this point in the season. Mark? Yeah, um, so to, to, piggyback, nah, to piggyback off Rhett without, you know, just saying the same stuff over again, I think I do have a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say hesitation. Uh, what's been good to me is like Rhett mentioned, I think he's been put, he's been put in a good position, which really helps because um, that's important for him. The context is always important for Aaron. But also, I mean, it's worth noting that it's just been ridiculously hot shooting. I mean, in the four games that he's logged double, like double-digit minutes um, since – I mean, more than more than like just garbage time minutes. Uh, so the last four, 58% from the field, almost 46% from three. I mean, that's just not going to hold up. And we know Aaron is uh, one of the streakiest guys uh, on the team, if not the NBA. Um, so while I do think, I mean, process over results always, and I think the process has been good. I agree with Rhett. I don't know if he should have ever necessarily been fully out of the rotation, um, but it's hard to play him with how many guys there are like-sized on the roster that are playing as well as they are, uh, at least relative to how Aaron was playing. Um, but, I, I mean, with, with Jeremy Lamb out for right now, I, I think Aaron's minutes are kind of a lock. Yeah, well, I want to I jump into that real quick, and I'll go to you again first, Red. Jeremy Lamb's a guy that's been really struggling, obviously, specifically on the defensive end. But we've seen, you know, uh, Aaron Holiday get kind of put out of the rotation, but – you know, I think Mark brings up a great point as well. The size would be kind of a problem if you're if you're playing Sumner, Aaron, and McConnell as your as your backup uh, second unit. You know, backcourt. Do you think that's a problem, Rhett? I think it's completely matchup dependent. I think there's definitely some situations where Lamb's size would be more helpful versus playing Sumner at the quote unquote three or small forward. Uh, but at the same time, Lamb's defensive deficiencies really don't like his size is just that it's size it's not like it's any more uh improved defense so I, I think it just depends on the matchup for the most part mark i'll let you piggyback off that yeah no i mean i i agree with that i would say though i think in some regards aaron can be a, a better defender than tj mcconnell or at least he can provide more versatility because he's he's got a longer wingspan he's got a little bit more size to him uh just in terms of like you, you can trust hold, him holding up on a, on a bigger player sometimes, although not some of the bigger players that he gets matched up with. Like, uh, I'm trying to think who, who happened recently. Like, he was guarding, like, Rudy Gay a couple of possessions, like, stuff like that. No, I'm, I'm, that's the kind of stuff where it's, like, Aaron is – it's really d difficult to have him out there. And it, it brings up a lot of interesting questions, like, okay, well, is it better to have Jeremy Lamb and hope that he doesn't make mistakes or his size is just enough to keep him out there? Um it's it's an interesting toss-up that I think Nate Bjorkman still is trying to to work through. But um, ultimately, yeah, I think there's there's still room for air in there. Yeah, and, and I think Bjorkman is still trying to figure some stuff out because it's just a weird, weird season for this Pacers team. So many yeah. injuries, so many guys in and out. And you bring in McConnell, and I know I didn't put this on my list of things to talk about, but I have to go back to it because, I mean, he's he's been really good in, in, in clutch situations on the offensive end. And defensively, he's getting a little recognition because of his steals per game stat and uh, and his steals overall. But um, I, I find it hard to believe that McConnell is a really good defender, Mark. How, how do you feel about that? It's not that – okay, so let's say in the right situation, he's a good defender. Like, right. Awesome pressing, awesome doing stuff off ball. Like he can be really active in passing lanes and um, just really great 
irritating guy uh, for opposing defenses. I mean, for opposing offenses, but like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I always go back to the Denver game. Uh, it's not that he was playing bad defense on Jamal Murray, but Jamal Murray is six foot four, like 220 pounds. And TJ McConnell just didn't have the length or real ability to contest him. And it shows. And that, that happens routinely with TJ if he's not getting to play somebody who's his size. Um, so I think Aaron gives you more length and more strength at the point of attack. And um, yeah, I, the, when, when I saw, when it was brought to my attention that TJ McConnell had made the NBA.com's uh, top five defensive player of the year ranking, I was, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, I've had problems with that list for a while, but, and that's not the dog TJ. He knows that what he's capable of or not capable of, but I think it, it just, a, a lot of it goes to show like, how how fit uh, I mean how fitting TJ has been with with Nate Yorker in the scheme. Rhett, anything to add to that? No, not really. I don't. It's not that TJ is a bad defender, like Mart said. It's I don't know if he's necessarily a great defender either. It's just his energy and effort is like probably second to none, and so yeah. that just that just gets him in a lot of positions to succeed. But as far as like a one on one matchup, uh, I would say that Aaron is probably a better fit, depending on like, especially if it's Jamal Murray, like Mark said. Yeah, and I, and I think I just go back to last year's playoffs as well. Um, just uh, just a guy that the Heat just completely took out of the game and they kept attacking. And, I mean, he's a fine player. Like, don't get me wrong, I like McConnell. He's probably had his best, you know, season of his entire career this year with the Pacers. I mean, he has been unbelievable in, in moments. But I think defensively, like, I just feel like that reputation of him being a really great defender is a little bit – overkill but I do think that he does like you said provide that energy but speaking of a guy that does have length and can guard a lot of guys that's Edmund Sumner um, he has been so impressive these last couple of months and he's been given a larger role thankfully and I think he's earned that whether it's been in practice but when he's been given the time on the court clearly has improved that so Mark I'll start with you first on this question where do you see Edmund Sumner fitting in with this team long term uh well yeah I mean I think First off, he has a team option this summer, and that's definitely getting picked up. There's no way that that wouldn't get picked up. I think just with, with how he's played since he has been in the rotation uh, since 26th of February is when he started getting real minutes. Um, I mean, I think any team would be giving him a, a real offer that's not just the minimum right now uh, because of what he's shown athletically. And I, I think it, it's interesting because what's been most intriguing to me has not been like he's shooting – in those 18 games shooting 40% from three on, on slightly over to a game. So again, it's low volume, but what's most intriguing to me is what he's doing getting downhill. Um, and there have been numerous times where uh, he's shown really great flashes uh, with the ball in his hands and, and making plays for others with, with what he's getting downhill. And some of those assists aren't even, you know, popping up because guy like there were a bunch of bunnies missed at the rim uh, I still don't understand why bunnies is a thing, but it's a, it's a thing. Um, point being, I mean, he's showing another ability as somebody who can can run things and, and, and create. Um, and it's been really promising. He had some really nice flashes against the Spurs last night. Um, I think in terms of where he fits long-term, like right now, just looking at this, I would rather, or not rather, just based on what we've seen, like, I'm more confident in Edmund Sumner moving forward than I am in Aaron Holiday, or at least I would be more willing to, to give a long-term deal to. Um, not that I think – I mean, that's a whole other discussion of whether or not you, you keep Aaron. I think a lot depends on TJ McConnell and, and how the team views him. But mm -hmm. um, I, I think 
he provides more for the team right now than Jeremy Lamb does. But oh, yeah. a lot of that is the I, I do want to sorry, I'm going on another tangent, but I, I, <laughs> I do want to push back a little bit with Jeremy. Like I know the defense has been really bad. Um, important to remember where, that he's coming back from a really tough injury. And I know the defense was not a particularly a bright spot for him before injury. But also the scheme, he is one of the guys who I think it's really negatively hurt by the defense that they're playing. Um, so I think that's worth noting. You know, if the scheme were to change in the offseason, he's a guy who you would see uh, probably have more of a bounce back. But uh, that, I mean, I don't know if that scheme's going to be changed or whatever. But, but in, in the context, I mean, Evan Sumner is the best wing off the bench pretty much that isn't Doug McDermott. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I think Evan Sumner has just been fantastic and his ability to just cut at the right time on the offensive end and get yeah, the passing he brings, lanes. He brings an offense, like a, he brings an element to the offense that the team just frankly never has because they don't have that athleticism. Right. Like, I mean, you, you're seeing him, he's routinely gotten lobs. Like they ran a, I want to say they ran a set play um, out from, from an inbounds that was for a lob for Ed. And, and like, we, I mean, we just are not accustomed to seeing that with the Pacers because they don't have the personnel to do it. Um, and he, what he does in the open floor in transition uh, I mean, TJ Warren brings that to an extent too, but it's it's different with Ed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I just can't speak highly enough of what he's brought. And it's been awesome to see his development. I think that's something that people kind of uh, are losing a little bit. I know that the season hasn't been beautiful, but him and Goga's development has been huge. Yeah. All right, Rhett. I'm going to let you uh, take the floor here now and uh, give your thoughts on Evan Sumner. I could not agree more that he's been the most impactful player off the bench uh, outside of Doug. Um, and him being able to step into a role last night where it was going to be point Levert because we started uh, Doug, Justin, Karis, Edmund, and Miles, and I thought for sure that they would run TJ McConnell, just have another ball handler out there, but then Ed did a pretty decent job with the ball in his hands on some half-court possessions. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but just – from eye tests and just general feel with him. He just had so much confidence last night. And I think that there's, there's no question that he has to be a main part of this team's rotation moving forward, especially um, if we do keep the same defensive scheme, like he's the best player on the roster that's built for it outside of miles, just because everything is based on athleticism, closeouts and just, bothering people on the perimeter and that's just something that ed is so good at we've been saying it all all year that this scheme doesn't really make sense except if you play edmund sumner like he's the one player on the roster that just this is built for so uh if they do change the defensive scheme then maybe he isn't as successful as successful but i think with his athleticism and and speed and effort and how much more comfortable he's been on and off ball as a cutter and as a as a ball handler i think he's just got a solid role no matter what we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I would agree. I think I think this team definitely needs to add more athleticism like Edmund Sumner and Link to the roster, especially if they're going to play this system because he's fitting like a glove. And I, and I think, you know, offensively, his shot's gotten better. It's still not as consistent as you probably would want it to be, but he just he knows where to get to in the right spot. And I just I just feel like overall, like Edmund Sumner to me has just been such he's been probably the most fun pacer to watch for me this year, just because I love seeing guys grow. Goga's up there too as well, just because he's continuing to get better. But the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. You know, you talked about another guy that fits this system, and that's Miles Turner. And last night, you know, Turner had a really impressive game, and the Pacers won that game in overtime. And we got some solo Miles minutes without Sabonis in the game at all. And, and it just seemed to be like, you know, everybody that I saw on Twitter was talking about, hey, you know, Sabona slows this offense down. Turner is a better fit with this system. You know, it, it was all very uh, pro-Turner. And, and I just I just got to say, after that one-game sample size, I mean, do you think it was too small or do you think that this is the best way to go um, with these two guys right here? I'll start with you first this time, Rhett. I think it's too small of a sample size. And I know a lot of people are going to point to the playoffs last year as a good enough sample size to show what it looks like with solo miles. And I don't think that's a great uh, way to look at it because you're banking, you're talking about Nate McMillan instead of Nate Bjorkren. You're talking about just the complete absence of Sabonis versus what you would get if you decided to move Sabonis and just a generally different miles. Like I feel like he has been doing, and this might come back to Bjorkren a little bit, but he's been doing a lot more offensively when he's given the opportunity to. But overall, it's too small of a sample size. I don't think there's any way you can say uh, keep one over the other unless you know what you're getting in return for one or the other. And that's that's been my stance all this, this whole entire discussion this, this whole year as we rely so heavily on Domas offensively and Miles uh, defensively. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess I, I would just c- come right out and, and agree to start off. I mean, I think my biggest thing is I'm just it, we've seen it a lot with with the team in general. The ref, the one game referendums are like uh, small sample size referendums are tough. And I know you're just positing the question because it's what people are talking about. Right. Um, but it's frustrating. Like, I think you can look at things last night. And I think one of the things I would posit right away is um as good as Miles was individually, I think the team defense was still horrific last night. Um, I mean, they let up almost 130 points. Granted, it went into overtime, but like uh, they played one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league, uh, and I think that really benefited them uh, because in, in rewatching this morning, there were a lot of defensive lapses, and there were there were some promising signs, but um, still a lot of things that are systematically not great, um, and guys just making 
uh, some poor reads. Like Karis LeVert had a good game on ball defensively, but uh, he had some head scratchers off ball, and you could go down the list with that. Um, I think offensively, what's most intriguing is just Karis's comments after the game. I mean, I think that was mm-hmm. – I don't want to say it was eye-opening to me, but it was definitely like, it, okay, I, I was not expecting to hear that. Um, I mean, and just for people – uh, who maybe didn't see that. I mean, Karis said after game, he's like, you know, the floor was just so open out there playing like one at, one in, four out. Uh, and a lot of times it was five out too. But um, I mean, that's – they have been playing one out, four in, which – so like the way that he phrased it, I think got taken out of context a little bit. But it still was like – I mean, it was a telling quote. Um, I do think that the offense looked really good. I would also say the Spurs just didn't play good defense, frankly. Um, I'm not trying to belittle the win, but – uh, point being, I mean, there's not enough from one game to know it, but I also yeah. would say too, like, I'm just at the point now. Um, it's pretty clear that that this team is probably better off with just one guy, and I, I don't think you can say who that is because I, I mean, I toss that around in my head every day. Again, I'm not, I'm not Nate York, <laughs> and I'm not Kevin Pritchard, but um, I mean, I, I it, it just depends on the day, um, but yeah. it, it feels very much so like, and especially too with Goga's emergence. I mean, this. It's definitely going to come to a head um, within the next probably five or six months, I feel like. No, and, and I, I just want to say, like, uh, my, my biggest question, I think Derek Kramer from uh, iPacers blog and posted it, like, how do, how do you feel now after this game? What, what would you rather have Tyronis together, keep them together? Uh, you know, trade both, go goes the answer, and then uh, Team Miles, Team Domas. And uh, I, I said the only counter is, you know, they had just won two big games against Miami, and then they played Milwaukee on that back-to-back. And, and, and they didn't come off a loss, came off a win feeling pretty good. And it was their last game of that road trip. And then this game, they had lost three in a row. So I feel like there was more motivation there for the team to go out and get a win. Not saying that I'm discrediting anything. I'm just saying the, the scenario and the situation was completely different. But, you know, you brought up Karis LeVert's point, And I'm just curious because, to me, I feel like, even though I'm a, I'm a big fan of Sabonis, they do utilize them a little bit too much and they're just very heavy with that dribble handoff pick and roll type of offense. And I'm just curious, guys, I'll start with you first this time, Mark. Do you think there's a way they can utilize Sabonis in this offense without him being so, you know, on ball dominant, so to say? Yeah. Um, I mean, this brings up a couple of things for me. I mean, number one, I, I tweeted this out this morning, like last night was, uh, it was just telling, I mean, it's something I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, like, um, Miles has hardly been getting touches that are, you know, in, in the flow of the offense uh, for the last couple of weeks since the All-Star break. Like, obviously, he's getting some, but I, I think he was taking about eight shots per game um, prior to last night, which is very low. Um, and part of it is he's been uh, passing out of looks and, and not taking as many open looks. But at the same time, I mean, they just have not been – it feels uh, it's not that it just feels like it. I mean, he is the least scripted for a player in in the starting lineup, and and we can back back that up by going back and watching him and pulling numbers from it. Like, um, so I think we saw last night, like the op- when he gets opportunities to actually do things, um, good things can happen, and, and he's he's operating in different ways than than Domas, but it's also tough because Domas provides so much with his screening that I've, I mean I've written about, we've talked about, um. But you're right. I mean, he does not have the same ability as an outlet. I, I, I would. I mean, he's been working on his three point shot. It has not fallen well over the last month or so. Um, what's been most perplexing to me is he doesn't have that mid range game anymore. Um, mm-hmm. He was such a good mid range shooter last year, 
Um, not like elite, but he was very good. Like I think he shot 40, 46% from like 14 feet to the, to beyond the arc on high volume. And that, that shot's just totally failed him this year. Um, so teams have just been really willing to lay off of him. So it, it's very difficult for him to, to be as impactful without the ball in his, in his hands. But I think there are still ways for it to happen. Rhett? Yeah, I I could not agree more. Miles is just not a priority on offense when when the team is healthy. Like, and and it's credit to Miles to be able to go out there and just anchor defensively like he does and know he might get four shots on the night and then get trashed after the game because he only took four shots and he missed three of them or something like that. It's it's pretty uh it's I can't imagine that it's easy to go out there and, and be the fifth option pretty consistently. But at the same time, you mentioned if if Domas can be uh if we can go away from Domas being as involved. And I think the it's kind of tough for him to do that because I don't see like if he doesn't have the ball, is he spacing the floor? Not really. And I know that Miles isn't shooting very well from three, but I feel like teams respect him a lot more than they respect Domas when it comes to being on the perimeter. And obviously you can scheme some things to where Domas is setting screens away from the ball. And then you're getting some real space for those players. But if Domas doesn't have the ball, then I'm not, I don't, we don't know what that looks like really, because he's always, I feel like he's pretty much always been used as the hub that he is right now. So, um, I don't, I would be interested to see what that would look like if there was a a way. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Where the ball could move as fluidly as it seemed to last night around the perimeter and just like bouncing inside outside and just not sticking with one player or another um, with Sabonis on the floor versus just saying that it's Sabonis's fault. I know you weren't, you're not saying that. And I don't think Karis was saying that either. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it would just be interesting to see what would happen if they tried to use Domas in a different way. So I actually do have some thoughts on that because I think um, like you're mentioning it, I have to look it up because it feels like his uh, his just pure role uh, role opportunities are, are less this year. And part of that is probably teams taking it away because he's such a good role man. Um, but I would like to see that more. Um, like, I, I think there are opportunities. I don't know how much you guys have watched the Bulls this year. Um, but the way that they use Thad Young, I wrote an article about it at the beginning of the year um, on – how he was kind of uh, abusing space without being a spacer because I mean, Thad, as much as he was, he, he was not a great floor spacer in Indiana. He, it's totally gone in Chicago. Like he's hardly even shooting threes this year. And he's uh, he kind of floats around the middle of the um, like right above the restricted area. I mean, right above the paint uh, near the free throw line floats in and out of space and just has a ton of touch passes out of there. So he'll get the ball defense just shifts a little bit and he kicks it out to someone else instantaneously. And I think that's what I look at with Domas. Mm -hmm. Like there are ways that he could be doing that. And I think that's not on him. I think that's part of like just what the team is doing. I would really like to see that from him because I know the team wants to run five out a lot and, and, and try and run spread pick and roll from there. But I think you could really use Domas to do that because he really operates so well from the middle of the floor like that. Mm -hmm. You could also probably throw him into the dunker spot more. We really just don't see him start off sets in the dunker spot. 
Um, and I think it, it sounds counterintuitive because if somebody's coming down, uh, you know, off of a screen uh, and like, I think you could do a lot of pick and pop with miles and say Domas or Karras and they go down the lane and you have Domas uh, in the dunker spot. I mean, it's not perfect. I, I think it would still maybe be a little bit more cramped, but you, you have Domas there a for easy putbacks and B just another outlet. If, if you get to the rim and it's not open, you find the corner or maybe you find Domas. I, I don't know. Like Jakob Pertl last night is a great example because he, part of it is he has a really good touch, um, you know, inside five or six feet, but he's not a spacer in a traditional regard, but he's been quality for them offensively because he's able to do that. He floats around the basket. He doesn't stand around. He cuts into open space or just shifts around into open space uh, while the ball handlers draw attention. And, and he gets easy looks like that. And I think Domas could find some more um, like garbage bin points like that is I don't have a better term for it, but like just yeah. easy dump offs that the, the offense really doesn't have a lot of times. Well, and I want to, before I let Red come in here, I, I do want to say something, Mark, because I think you bring up a great point. I think Domas is so smart offensively, he'd be able to get to the right spot at the right time on the floor yeah. uh, to get those open looks and not feel like you have to force it with him at the top of the key. And quite frankly, I don't like when he's at the top of the key every time handling the ball. I mean, it's fine and what it, what he does and creates for guards to, you know, get that separation off their defenders, but I like him closer to the basket because, like you said, the mid-range, the mid-range game is gone. And the three-point shot has fallen off more and more each game. So I'd rather him get more touches around the basket where I know he's got terrific footwork and he he just has a great feel for the, the post down there. So I agree with that. But anyway, Rhett, what were your thoughts and uh, reply to Mark? No, I think that that's exactly right. The, the touch pass aspect of it is something that I think that would help everybody because then not everybody's touching the ball. They're feeling more involved on offense. Whoever else is out there isn't just watching a Brogdon Sabonis pick and roll. And that's not to say that that's a bad play necessarily, or that it's anybody's fault for that being what ends up happening in a possession. But I just think there's a, there should be, and, and maybe I, maybe I don't know for sure. There should be some different ways to use players to where, uh, we don't have to have comments after the game about how there being there's so much more spacing and how uh, and just general discussions about how high Domas's usage and t- like touches per minute are. Um, but at the same time, I wonder if Karis's comments. I said this to you guys before we got on. I wonder if his comments, if he still would have said that had Domas been a solo big. You know what I mean? Like it could just be as simple as, Hey, playing two bigs doesn't give me very much space. And, and we kind of know that. So I'm not, I don't know if Karis is specifically saying like, Hey, wow. Playing with miles gives us so much space versus playing with Domas. It could have just been two bigs. It's not ideal, which we already knew. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to try to figure that out. <laughs> Cause it's... right. Yeah. Just like connecting docs for no reason. Yeah. I mean, it's, it very well could be, but I, I just still look at it like, in the solo minutes we've had at center, our, our defense has just been atrocious uh, in both games, whether it was Miles or Domas. And I'm not even trying to sit here and say that I think um, Domas is a better defender because that's not the case at all. But I just think that the defense has just been pretty poor uh, sporadically throughout the season. And, and the, 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 the perimeter defense has been really bad to me. But uh, we need to move on. And this is the last topic I want to talk about today, and that's Goga Batadza. You brought him up a little bit, Mark. Um, but my question for you, I'll start with you this time, Rhett. Uh, Goga's shown improvements each game. I really think he has. And but I, I but I have to ask you: Has he proven enough to you that you're that you'd be confident in moving one of the centers and relying on him as your only backup? 
as the only backup, no, yeah. I think we would still need a you would need a third center. Like you don't want to have Jakar Sampson as your third center in that case. Mm-hmm. But I do think that Goga has shown enough to where I want to see more, you mm-hmm. know, just to see what he can do. Um, just to, to see like if he keeps getting more and more opportunity, like where does that take him? What does he do? And I know people some people on Twitter last night were talking about how Goga his box score is just garbage. And I just roll my eyes and ignore that because Goga has played really, really well. Uh, he still has some silly fouls. I feel like like last night, three fouls in almost 15 minutes. Like that's going to be a struggle if he's going to be our only backup, but he's definitely warranted more of an opportunity. And I think that if, if he is your backup center, I, I wouldn't hate it as long as they have a third option. If just in case there's foul trouble. Mark. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, I agree with Rhett. Like I think there would have to be like a third big on the roster who's your twelfth or thirteenth man, you know, like, a, like a Kyle O'Quinn or something like yes, that. Yes, like Kyle O'Quinn. Um but I think too, I mean, it just brings up like with how well he's played. I, I mean, he's a legitimate rotation player now and deserves minutes, especially since he was um a first round pick. Like you you can't waste what he's doing. And he's been legitimately effective. He's improving a ton offensively. He's what he's done in some of the defensive minutiae has been awesome. Like his closeouts are so much better. Like he's gotten better at chopping his feet instead of just flying by somebody. Um, like, I, I just think, yeah, he makes it. I don't think he necessarily makes a, uh, one of the bigs more expendable, but like he just makes it more apparent. Like, okay, you know, there, if you move one of the guys, he can, you can take over the backup minutes. And, and I think you can be pretty comfortable with that. Yeah, I think for me the most impressive thing I've noticed with Goga is just his fight on the on the glass on both ends of the court. Obviously, I love that he's you know not afraid to go out there and protect the rim because I think he's a good rim protector. His shot is going to continue to get better, I think, because it, it looks good to me, and I feel confident when he shoots it. But I will just say like his ability to fight on the glass. He had seven rebounds last night in just fifteen minutes uh, against San Antonio, and I think even though there's been times where he might not get the rebound, he can cause a foul. Uh, by guys trying to fight over him and stuff like that. So personally, that's one thing I've enjoyed from him. I don't know if you guys have anything in particular you've enjoyed from from Goga, but I'll start with you, Mark. Uh, anything from from Goga that you that you just love about his game? I mean, the defense. I mean, you can tell he's picked up a lot of stuff from Miles. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I, I've really liked that they played him at the level of the screen a little bit yesterday, um, which I was a fan of. Um, just getting him some more looks and more versatility. Um, I agree on the shot. Like he's, he's been confident with it, which is what I like. I mean, he's just willing to take it and it's fallen a lot better the last couple of games. He's taking, I think he's taken one, at least one every game, except for one game in the last eight, which is promising. Like, I like that. I just want him to take him because I'm a lot more confident in his shot than Domas is right now. Oh, yeah. um, it just looks a lot smoother. Um, and his touch around the rim too is, is fantastic. I, I, I really like that as well. Like it's, you don't see it all the time. Um, because he's not always in the position to do it. But I, I've really liked watching him as a role man and, and cleaning stuff up late too. Rhett, anything you want to add? I just want to see more. Like, I just want to see more of everything that he does. I think he is – he's a great combination of Miles and Domas, I feel like, because of the shot blocking that he's shown uh, to be capable of while also the fight that you talked about. And then I think he's got – he's got a little bit of a grit to it, like a little bit of a, an edge to him a little bit too, that 
like sometimes comes through when you see him fighting for boards like that, he doesn't back down very easily. And I just think that's something that uh, I just like seeing, like it's, it's just a, it's just a fresh, fresh input to the game when he comes in and he just comes through and fights for boards. Like it doesn't, he doesn't care who else is on the receiving end of his elbows, but uh, no, he's, he's good. I want to see more of him. Yeah, and I think if you're just box score watching and trying to hate him, like I was getting a bunch of hate, I think it was on Friday night for basically saying he's a terrible player, too much foul trouble. It's like, uh, can we just watch the games and stop looking at box scores because there's more to it than that. But um, anyway, we got about five minutes left. Real quick here, guys, I got to ask you, Pacers are four games under 500, currently at the ninth seed. They play the Bulls on, on Tuesday night. Start with you, Mark. Do the Pacers finish above 500 this season? Ooh, um, wow, that is a good question. Um, I think it's <laughs> TBD. Ask me in a week and a half. Um, I think this week was really rough. Uh, it was good that they got that win against San Antonio, but I was expecting them to go three and one this week and probably lose last night's game. Um, they Amen. really needed to have a much better week than they did. And I thought that was kind of the week that just looking at the schedule forward, that was probably going to be the week that hinges them being a 500 team, in my opinion. I mean, the schedule's a lot cleaner from here on out, but um, it's not going to be easy for them to make up the games that they uh, need to, considering how they've been playing and how some of the other teams are starting to play as well. Um, But I do think that they're going to make the playoffs, or at least the play-in still. Okay. Rhett, where where, where are you at? Uh, They have to go 14-10. and over their next 24 games. Which is doable. That's definitely doable. To be 500. It is doable. Um, But they have a pretty – they have some cupcake games against, like, the Magic, and and then I guess it's really just the Magic because the Thunder will just beat you by resting all their best players on a (laughs) night if you're not ready for them. And then the Pistons – who knows about the Pistons, whether or not they're going to win basketball games. But then they play, you know, Clippers, Spurs again – I mean, just Nets, just a lot of good teams. So I I don't know if they'll go 500. I'm going to say probably not just because of how inconsistent this team has been uh, and how, like, we don't know how healthy we're even going to be if, if Domas's angle turns into something more serious and uh, Lamb stays hurt, you know, just stuff like that. I think it's easier to say no, but I'm also just a pessimist. So, Well, and, and Cupcake wins aren't always – on schedule aren't always the easiest because look, I mean, look at Washington on Monday night. No, no Bradley Beal and the Pacers. <laughs> also, Russell Westbrook's like greatest shooting game of all time. I like, mean, it wasn't of all time, but like <laughs> of the season. Dude, oh my God. He, yes, he was, was unbelievable. Yeah. I'm just saying, like that's a game on paper. You think, okay, you should win that game. I had chalked that up as a win. I thought yeah. it was going to be a for sure win. And that, I mean, what do I know? But um, yeah, that, that was. That was this that, week, man. That, yeah. that It was awful. It was awful. But all right, fellas, real quick, Rhett, where can we find you at on Twitter? And do you have anything coming out for eight points, nine seconds? You can find me on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer. And uh, then if you have any questions, comments, or anything like that, I'll likely get back to you pretty quickly because I spend too much time on there. Uh, not really working on anything with eight points, nine seconds right now. Just uh, trying to watch some games and find something that needs more elaborating. Absolutely, Mark. Yeah, you can find me at M. Schindler NBA. Um, I am not – I mean, I'm active on Twitter, but I'm really bad at getting back to DMs sometimes, as Rhett knows. Um, I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, – but you can you can find me there, and I, I always try and get back. Um, I just have a lot going on, to be honest. Uh, 
But I also do a lot of stuff over at Premium Hoops covering the NBA at large, and you can find me over there. Uh, in, in terms of stuff coming out for IC, um, I should have something this week or next. I'm looking at uh, – I started up a write-up for something. Um, I normally do something that's a little bit longer form, so it takes me a minute. Um, I have an article that should be dropping tomorrow morning on the Orlando Magic. Um, and so uh, <laughs> I probably lost a lot of people saying that one. Um, but I do have, uh, I oh, have no, some other I'm stuff in. in the works for later this week, too. But, yeah, should be uh, should be good. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely. You guys can follow us at Setting the Pace 3. I'm at Alex Golden NBA, my co-host Mike Focci, which you guys usually hear with me. He's at underscore F-A-C-C-I, and I actually wrote my one and only piece so far this year for Indie Sports Legends on, on Saturday. If you haven't, go ahead and check that out. Tyler Smith underscore ISL posted that. Um, but, yeah, thanks so much for coming on, guys, and we will uh, talk to you later. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.